Welcome to the Strut South Podcast. Today on the show, we're going to talk to Steve Stoltz. He's very well known in the turkey world, but he also knows a thing or two about whitetails. He's worked with the likes of Drury Outdoors way back when they started and helped them pioneer their way into the hunting industry. We're going to talk with him today about targeting a specific buck and some tips and tactics that he uses and also guys go on itunes tune in radio anchor all of those platforms click on subscribe get notifications so you can see every show and now let's get to it all right guys we've got Steve Stoltz on the line with us. What's going on, Steve? Hey, uh, glad to be on the podcast there. And uh, I don't know if you're just in Georgia area, Ryan, or uh, parts uh, further beyond, but Georgia is very near and dear to my heart. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's where the St. Louis Rams won the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a big football fan, although I have uh, moved. I moved to Iowa, uh, to southern Iowa in 2012. I still work full-time in St. Louis. I'm a firefighter full-time. and um, But I'm still a, a big St. Louis sports fan, Cardinals, of course. Um, and, uh, of course, they have had big rival with, with the Braves for many years. But uh, – We've uh, we've enjoyed great sports up here in the Midwest, but yeah, Georgia, Georgia's a great state, great hunting state, um, uh, full of rich with game and wildlife and 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 uh, uh, resources. Um, kind of a sleeper state, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, uh, especially when it when it comes to deer. Um, yeah, Steve, uh, if you could just kind of give us a give us a rundown of your background in the uh, industry, I guess. Absolutely. Well, I started out with, um, you know, turkey calling. Of course, um, my dad was a turkey hunter, and and uh, he called my first turkey in Ryan when I was oh probably ten, eleven years old, um, and my first hunt right away got a turkey with him. And, of course, I was hooked. Um, I had learned to call turkeys even before that, Um, read everything I could on turkey hunting and deer hunting, Um, just dreamed a day that I could maybe go myself, you know. Um, And, of course, my dad started both my brother and I into, you know, the the ethics part of hunting, Um, and that's uh, uh, how to handle uh, weapons correctly and safely and uh, proper ethics as far as always making sure you have a proper uh, tag or license and, you know, abide by the the game laws and and, uh, very strict on that. My dad was a very strict uh, conservationist. And so we learned by the best. And um, we started us out with kicking brush piles for rabbits and then uh, – going to retrieve quail if he dropped a quail if the dog didn't couldn't find it or didn't get it um we we would uh, do that and then when he got home with his game i tell you what really made me want to hunt is he always made my brother and i clean the game 
And uh, now <laughs> listen, to, to you parents out there that are listening, what a great way to have your child or your grandchild uh, break into the industry and, and, and into the hunting. Um, teach them how to prepare that, that animal to cook. Um, and, boy, you don't know how many squirrels and rabbits and quail and dove and turkeys and, and all kinds of uh, game that my brother and I cleaned. So we dreamed for the day that we could actually go hunt those animals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I <laughs> I grew up, uh, you know, obviously in a hunting family and then um, became a full-time firefighter uh, oh, when I was 20 years old, right out of high school. Uh, here in the St. Louis area, um, and then uh, my turkey calling skills kind of just kept growing, and finally my dad took me to a turkey calling contest in 1979, and uh, I actually took fifth place out of 32 callers in that contest, and there was callers of the likes of Walter Parrott and, and uh, you know, great callers here in the Midwest, uh, Brad Harris and Ralph Dern and and Brad, and uh, Billy Williams and Gary Williams and and Randy Gower. I mean the name, the list. Kenny Mounts, um, just all the old, old Ray I, and uh, you know, of course, uh, I called against the best and actually placed with those guys. So that kind of gave me the the uh, confidence to move forward in turkey calling um so then i started competing in turkey calling championships won my first state turkey calling championship missouri state in 1981 um won my first regional uh contest with uh big money in it uh, in 1987 the levi garrett all-american uh, and that was big money then and guys like walter and paul butsky and that group all called in in that calling championship and um and then uh, moved on to uh, 1993, went to my first World Turkey Calling Championship in Birmingham, Alabama, and won it. I had a tie with Walter Parrott. It was 50, I'm sorry, I said 52. It was 47 callers in that calling championship, and Walter Parrott and I tied, and I beat him in a call-off barely. I, I Probably many probably thought Walter won that call-off. I don't know. <laughs> But that, that's kind of how I gained a name in the turkey world. And then along with that, Ryan, uh, at a calling championship in the mid-'80s, I met a guy by the name of Mark Drury. And if you're all listening, you know the Drury Outdoors. You know uh, that they're the one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in the outdoor industry when it comes to big whitetails and turkey hunting and, and just quality television shows. Well, uh, Mark approached me uh, to start filming and hunting with 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 him and his brother. So it was actually Mark Drury, Terry Drury, and myself, and a guy by the name of Dale Dinkler Whiffler, who started Drury Outdoors in 1989. Um, and so that was even before I won the World Turkey Calling Championship. And what we really wanted to do, Ryan, is bring quality hunting video to the forefront we knew will primos was doing it and some of the other guys and we just felt like we could you know do as good a job or better um and of course jury outdoors then took off and then mark decided to start a game call company called mad calls and of course 
that that took off uh, very well, and um, you know, kind of just gained notoriety in the industry from that. I mean, you can't you can't imagine how far-reaching video and then eventually television can be. You know, um, yeah. So just kind of grew up uh, in the outdoor industry that way. Always staying full-time firefighter. Uh, raised uh, two girls. Uh, yeah, I'm still married. My wife Dawn and have two girls. Uh, one still finishing up college. One is graduated from college. Um, and then, of course, made uh, a little side money in the outdoor industry as time went. A lot of people actually thought that I was full time in the outdoor industry, but I never was. I've always been a full time firefighter and just did the outdoor industry part time. That's great, great. That's a great story. Um, that's actually really cool. My uh, my brother's a firefighter, and uh, but that's and that's what we are. I mean, we all of the guys here with the Strut South TV, we uh, we all work and we're part time, basically full time workers and part time hunters. So, absolutely, absolutely, and yeah. you know. Uh, Along with the calling championships and the calling titles, uh, you know, the demand started rising for doing seminars and personal appearances and uh, clinics and uh, tours uh, as far, you know, like hunting tours, um, uh, Bass Pro shop tours as far as uh, uh, traveling to the different Bass Pro shops and now Cabela's and, and um, you know, of course, that, you know, then you got social media now and digital media. And of course, television. Um, so all that just kind of culminated uh, to to where you build a resume in the industry. Um, you know, I don't think that anything happened overnight. I don't. I don't think I could go back and do it all over again. But I, I never would have ever believed at this point that I'd not only be able to do in turkey calling and competitive uh, uh, calling in the industry. Uh, but also do in the television and video field that, that what I've been able to uh, help accomplish. And I say help because I've always been with a group of people. There's no I in team. And so I've always been with people, whether it be Mark Curry or when I was with Hunter Specialties or with Night Hale for so many years. And now I just joined a great family of game calls, uh, Woodhaven Custom Calls with Mike Pentecost and, of course, Scott Ellis as part of that great team mark scroggins uh and and i've just joined that family this year i'm excited about joining the woodhaven custom call family and of course uh i joined uh mossy oak camouflage and toxie was was still making camouflage in garage in the garage of homes <laughs> believe it or yeah not. and uh you know back in west point mississippi uh great family uh been with uh Toxie and Mossy Oak family since the late 80s. Uh, don't think there's a better camouflage out there. So, I mean, just all those types of things and being loyal uh, to, to certain brands uh, help. Um, but definitely, no question, Ryan, television and video, I'd say video before television, uh, brought our names, you know, to the forefront. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you think back to you know the 80s and the 90s i mean that's there was there was really only a handful of people doing it and it was you had the juries you had real tree and primos 
and I mean, right off the top of my head, that's that's really the main three that they were kind of the pioneers of the uh, outdoor television, I guess you could say. Well, and I appreciate that, and we we take great pride. I, I I'm no longer with Drury Outdoors. I have not done any work for Drury Outdoors uh, since the early 2000s, and I I, I, I they they changed kind of the model of 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 uh, how my affiliate with the company was. They, they, and I don't blame them really for what they did. Uh, it's just I felt like I could do better, kind of out on my own, venture out on my own, and I've done actually very well. Um, and so still great friends with them. In fact, uh, my daughter's getting married here coming up in October, and uh, they'll definitely be at my daughter's wedding, so will Terry and Willa, his wife. And they've been wonderful friends, great family friends. Um, uh, but what they've been able – they've been able to take outdoor television to new heights. Um, I will tell you this. When I was with them, we were able to take uh, outdoor video to new heights, and the reason why we did that is – Every uh, so often, usually at least once a year, we'd sit down and we'd meet Mark, Terry, and I, and a few of the other guys, Jay Gregory, Don Kiske, and some of the original guys, and we would try and think of what we could do to improve, what we could do to do better, and and, and to stay cutting edge, to stay ahead of the curve. And that's what it takes. Even today, uh, you're just not going to really – do anything in the industry unless you stay on the cutting edge you stay at the forefront yep. and that's just kind of we, we just kind of thought that would be the way to go it turned out to be a great business decision and the other thing that we decided is that we would stay strictly 100 percent wild 100 percent fair chase and that's just proved to be huge because i will tell you and you listeners that have watched the juries throughout the years Back when I used to be with them, and even now, we were approached by several companies uh, to, to to do big deer uh, films behind a high fence, and we chose not to to never go behind high fence. Always keep it in the wild. Uh, now it meant uh, we had to uh, spend a, a year, maybe an extra year, to release a, a, a film because say we had four kills and we needed five or six to finish the, the tape. We'd have to wait an extra year, so it cost us out of the pocketbook. But I think it's the smartest decision business-wise we ever made to not go behind high fence. Right. Well, speaking of uh, high fence, usually high fence has some big deer. Um, Absolutely. And that's kind of what that's kind of what we wanted to talk about. Not necessarily high fence, but we wanted to talk about. Uh, well, and it's not well, necessarily big deer. Um, I, I you, don't mind mentioning a high fence, and the reason why is there's there is a place for everything. I'm not saying I'm anti high fence uh, white hunting whatsoever. If a guy's got the money, wants to pay to hunt behind a fence, that's up to them. I I really have no judgment one way or the other. You know, there's a, there's a there's a place for things like that. We just felt like we wanted to tell the story about every big whitetail that we hunted um, and we learned to kill big whitetails and hunt big whitetails through our films. We learned in the films. Heck, when we first started, we were shooting year and a half old, two and a half year old bucks. And then we started realizing, you know what, we're not going to get the bigger ones if we're shooting these little ones. So we started passing them actually on film. And so, um, but we can't,
Wilde, we're happy we did. Uh, it was harder to make the films, but uh, turned out to be a great business decision. We were uh, the very first to come out with the Monster Bucks series. Uh, and actually, Bill Jordan, the same year, came out with a Monster Buck film. He didn't know we did. We didn't know he did. <laughs> and uh, the true story. And, and uh, Bill Jordan actually called us and, uh, you know, kind of was like, one of us has got to move off the Monster Buck label. And and we're like, you're right. And he made an offer and we took it. And uh, then we just changed to the Dream Season and Monster Buck. And um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, the Mad series, uh, uh, you know, the, with the Mad Calls. Um you know, and, and just kind of segued away from from Monster Bucks, and then Bill Jordan took over Monster Bucks. It was kind of a gentleman's agreement, basically. Um, and he's done very well with that series. But we were actually the very first one to come out with Monster Bucks. That's a cool story. Um, yeah, I knew I knew that uh, Drury's were actually had Monster Bucks, and then. I kind of I kind of knew of that, um, but we we're going to speak on uh, bucks, big bucks in particular, not necessarily big bucks. The way I look at it is, you know, you you hunt with you you can only hunt by your means. I mean, and and I don't I don't think you know everybody everybody's not going to have the chance to shoot you these giants. Not you know 170 80. 190 inch bucks um and it doesn't matter the size of the deer and that's kind of what i wanted to talk to you about today was um targeting a specific deer and kind of what do you what do you go through like on a yearly basis like you know how how does your scenario start when you're trying to target a certain buck well, I, that's a great question, um, and, and you just mentioned something that is so that your listeners need to really, really uh, uh, pay attention to, and that is, it makes no difference to size. You, you got you, you out there right. listening to this podcast right now. That's two hundred inch whitetails out there, but and you, and you got some guys. You got your, you know, your, you know, Mark Dury in particular. Uh, you know, Lee and Tiffany, and I know them very well, too, good friends with them, and Kiskies and Jay Gregory, and, you know, that, that whole, there's, there's a group of guys, there's a group of hunters and gals that, uh, you know, they, they manage their properties, they have the resources now, and, 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 and bless them for doing that, because they've, they've been, they've worked very hard to get to that point. They spend a lot of money to, manage their properties, food plot their properties, uh, food supplement their deer, and, and uh, of course, food plot the, their places for the fall, manicure their properties, just heavy, man, very heavy management of large tracts of land. And, and I'll be honest with you, they'll even tell you, it's, they're growing whitetails that, that most people can't grow. It, it just... It, it, it it's almost uh, beyond reality. Uh, they're doing it. Yeah. And they're getting them. They're getting them killed, and they're getting them killed on film. Um, but 
I guess the best way to describe it, and again, Mark will tell you this, Lee will tell you this, all of them will tell you this, don't set your standards higher than you than what's out there. So um, you got right. let, let's just speak of real world terms, Georgia, or even here in the Midwest, um, uh, where you don't have large expanse of land to manage. Uh, I'll take myself for instance. I manage. I lease a 280-acre piece of ground, and I, I own four acres. And I actually can hunt right on the four acres. i got food plots. I've got a little timber. I can hang a tree stand. I can uh, hunt out of a, a ground blind. Um, I've I, 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 I hunted and killed deer right on my little four acres. But but the 280 acres is where I really mainly focus on. But 280 acres is not enough to re- acreage to really manage heavy. But I still manage it. Yeah. I still food plot it and I still work it and I still uh make sure I don't shoot tiny deer, you know, small deer, immature deer. So let's talk about targeting a specific buck and let's talk about age class. When you said earlier, you 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 hit the nail on the head. Don't look at 150 or 60 or 80 inch or 190 inch deer as that that is your target deer. Look at age and how do you age whitetails? One of the best ways to age whitetails is MRI and, and, and keeping track of your deer. Most recent information through trail cam photos, through watching them feed in the summertime, which is right now as we speak during their summer feed pattern before they go hard horn, um, keeping inventory of them, again, through trail cam pictures, trail cam video, spotting them live uh, from a distance with spotting scopes or uh, uh, binoculars. Um, and you just develop a, a um, you know, basically a DNA of that profile of that particular whitetail. Um, now, yes, you're going to get the, the, the uh, monkey wrench thrown at you every once in a while. Uh, because you'll start getting to know a, a big buck through pictures and through scouting and through uh, uh, surveillance, and then all of a sudden that deer will disappear. Well, don't panic. It's not always the case that that deer is dead, uh, and here's why. All big whitetails have a personality like, much like humans, and and it, and it's in their personality. Some big whitetails stay in the same 200-acre, 400-acre little farm their entire life and never move. Some big whitetails will grow to about two and a half, start getting a little pressure from the bigger buck, and they'll venture out to some other area and move. And and then when they get older, they circle around and come back and and actually live the the end of their life in that same two, 300, 400-acre farm they started on. And some big whitetails move away and never do come back. And it's just like humans. Humans are the exact same uh, uh, genetic trait in that they some live their whole life in the same small little town and never move. Some move and never come back. Some move and live basically in their earning years somewhere else and then in retirement come back. So think of whitetails as the same behavioral pattern. And you'll start you'll start understanding why some bucks disappear 
and some don't. Some actually disappear and then come come back and show back up later. That's actually very common. Um, so when you're targeting a specific buck, get good trail cameras and put a lot of them out there. Start out with mineral licks in the summer and place them in areas that where the deer come out to feed. Um, I, I, I like to place them, my, my mineral licks and my summer trail cameras, I like to place them in very easy, accessible places. Why? Because you don't want to let them know you're hunting them. You, you don't want to let them, you want very little intrusion. And remember that, that, that word, intrusion. That is so important when you're hunting big, mature whitetails. And intrusion means way more to a four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half-year-old buck than it does to an 18-month-old buck. So just, you know, bear in mind, you don't want the intrusion. So place those cameras out in almost on the edge of, if not on the edge of your food source, your hay fields, your, your, your um, agriculture fields, beans, milo, corn. Um, in, in Georgia, I don't know what kind of ag you have there, but I'm sure you have grass and hay fields and alfalfa fields. Um, uh, right. You know, standard feed areas, areas where these whitetails are going to feed, that's where you want to start your trail cameras on your mineral licks if it's legal in Georgia to do that. Um, some states it's not legal to put out mineral. So then I would I would suggest to wait and do your most of your MRI by scouting from a distance. Put your trail cameras on natural uh, gathering spots such as water holes, such as acorn flats near where big buck sign has been previously. And remember what I just said, previous big buck sign will dictate whether you get pictures of big bucks today. And that's because that previous sign is showing that there was a mature buck working that area. If there was a mature buck working that area, he's going to be back working that, if not one to replace him the next year or two. Yeah. Yeah, there was several things that you talked about that I kind of want to touch on, and it kind of just made me think. Um, when you were talking about deer are kind of like humans, I think, I think they're way more like humans than we think they are. Um, and one of the things that I always think to myself about is if you think about when you're walking around in your house, think about everywhere that you walk in your home. You always walk the same exact spot. You know what I mean? It's basically you have a trail in your house that you always walk and deer deer do the same exact thing absolutely um, and to go along with that that's why if you were walking through your house and your cookie jar was laying over on its side in your kitchen would you or would you not take quick notice of that the answer is yes yeah. and 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 a white tail is the same way and so it always amazes me the amount of uh, hunters that will take and and trim out just everything but the kitchen sink so they can get a shot and not realizing that they're really creating a noticeable spot for those deer to actually avoid. And so um, when you're hanging your stands, and I always say this, 
the closer to hunting season, the more you got to pay attention to this. But man, oh man, you got to trim as least as possible where you can still get shots, still get good bow shots. Does no good sitting spot where you can't pull your uh, bow back and get a shot out of your tree or, or a gun or a rifle or a muzzleloader or whatever you're using. Um, but by the same token, you got to trim the bare minimum that you can still got good shooting lanes. You want to do it way at a time if you can. And then the closer to the season, the least, the, the less that I will actually trim if I go set a stand up. For instance, if it's actual active season and I feel like I really need, I have what I call a uh, uh, something going on right now. There's a, uh, 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 say, a, a buck's tending a doe and she's in a hollow. In a, in a draw, and I know he's in there with her, and I don't have a stand up. When I go slip in to put that stand, I don't trim anything from the ground, and I'll maybe take a limb cutter uh, and very quietly uh, trim some select limbs while up in the tree uh, to get ready for my hunt. I, these are incidents um, that are further down in the rut that I call isolated incidents, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, and when you find those isolated incidents, whether it's a buck on a specific food in early October or if it's uh, a buck tending a doe in middle, middle November or December, um, you've got to take advantage of those isolated incidents. And it's something Mark Terry and I learned very early in our – and we actually learned this from uh, Jay Gregory and Don Kiske. When a big whitetail is on his feet, I don't care whether it's September 15th, if your season's open then, or December 15th, or anywhere in between, you need to be hunting. I mean, take that to the bank. Don't ever make the mistake of seeing a good buck working and say, well, I'll come back another month and kill him. And, and, right. and that, that's the mistake a lot that we made for many, many years. And the reality of it is you see a good buck up on his feet in daylight hours, you better move in for the kill at that time. Yeah. Um, well, here we go. Here, I'm going to ask you, because um, this goes right into the the entire topic that we're talking about. Um, one of our guys with Strut South, he has a deer that we're, we're targeting. And this is going to be for I, – I, I'm not scared to say he's going to push 160. And we get, we're getting pictures of him every night. Um, last year he hunted him. Got pictures of him every single day. Now, I think, and I think this is important. Last year we didn't start hunting this area until basically October twentieth, maybe the third third weekend of October. Um, our season opens, our archery season opens really early. It's open September the 8th. But last year, we got inventory of the deer. So we really didn't get inventory last year before, you know, during during the bow season. Um, <clears throat> but right now, this deer is showing up every single night he he was daylight like every single day about 
maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago. But now he's pretty he's pretty nocturnal as far as the pictures go. What would you what would well, you suggest or what do you think is the problem? Well well first off, it, are you getting your pictures through a mobile app? Or, or, no, or we, we do right, we have to go and check our cameras. We didn't we don't have any of the mobile apps. I, I'm going to say first and foremost, you've, you, you, you've made them aware you're there by, by frequently checking the cameras. Um, right. More than, like, more than likely, and then I'm not saying that that's the only answer, but uh, that could be the issue, uh, one of them. Um, remember this. If a big whitetail, big mature whitetail, uh, do you remember when I said earlier they don't like moving much? Well, most of your yeah. big whitetail, if, if I had to put a percentage <clears throat> on it, I'd say 75% of them like to stay put. They don't – They man, if there's a reason why us old men get old big and fat belly, you know, because we get smart and we realize we don't have to – we don't have to jog 10 miles to, you know, to kill the turkey. We can cut across the holler and get them killed in one mile. So um, bucks are the same way. And, and, and so the older they get, their metabolism – Metabolism slows down. They get heavier. They get wiser. They move less. And if you're getting that many pictures of that deer in summer feeding pattern in daylight hours, and then checking those cameras frequently, checking them, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that deer was not very far from that camera each and every time you went in there to pull that chip. And so you've constantly right. and continuously made him aware of your presence, whether it's in the middle of the day or not, and here's why. They don't travel that far. So if everybody, and this is something they never come out with on trail cameras, that they need to put on every trail camera sold in America, no matter what company, and that is caution. If you're getting a picture of a good buck, mature buck, chances are he's he's living within 100 to 200, 300 feet <laughs> of that camera. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, you're right. If you're getting a picture of that rascal, whether it's 2 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I can bet you a paycheck he's laying within within hearing distance of that camera every time. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and well, see, that – Excuse me, I'm sorry. Hunters that, will not treat those cameras as such. Am I making sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. I was going to say that – see, that was our first – which that's probably the most obvious answer. Um, but like last year, which, I mean, and we, we really won't know. One thing I've, I've always heard, especially I listen to a lot of the jury stuff, when you're getting pictures – you're actually most of the time you're you're scouting for next year as far as you know when your deer came in then you know probably more than likely the next season he's going to be there again in that same area <clears throat> but like almost last year this day. year yeah yeah um, almost to the day yeah i've actually i've actually had that happen i've I've had pictures of bucks 
close to the same day or that usually within a week or three or four days it's going to be pretty dead on um but and that's the only thing is we're not in october and but last year he was i mean he was daylight every single day um and now all of a sudden and and see i i, I do believe that it's that that's the reason I think that he kind of fills us in there, so he's kind of holding off a little bit. But I also think he's 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 kind of used to us a little bit, and he knows that we're basically coming there to feed him. <laughs> so he's uh, think, he's got two patterns. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I, I think especially especially if you feed if you're going in and putting feed out for the deer, I think. It only takes about twice for them to understand, hey, every time I hear that truck drive in here, they're bringing food in. <clears throat> um, but Yeah, so so you're you're venturing in a, a, a real uh real tough answer and my best answer for it would get um and they're they're not cheap, but I'd say they're a couple hundred dollars uh retail, uh that um Maltree Mobile and buy the middle of the road package plan, um, a data plan, you know, 20 bucks a month. Um, and you can, when you're not using it, you can inactivate the, the plan to where they only charge you like three ninety nine or four ninety nine a month to keep it active. And then when you want to start seeing pictures again, you just bump it back up, uh, where, where yeah. you pay the, you know, and, and then that will keep your intrusion down. It'll keep you informed of what that buck is doing. And then you, know, you may have to actually – is this deer uh, super old? I mean, he's one pushing 160 in Georgia. I'm going to guess he's four and a half, five and a half at least. Um, I, I think – I really think he's I'm, – I'm really thinking he's no older than five. I think he's actually still – he's still fairly young. He's, he's in between four and five, I would say. Okay, so – Really, I mean, other than the fact that somebody else could get them, uh, there shouldn't be any urgency on this deer. But I, but I, 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 I also feel, you know, not knowing the situation, that a complete change is going to be in order. In other words, uh, put in uh, uh, some kind of if it's not Moultrie Mobile, some kind of uh, camera where you get pictures sent, where you don't have to go in there very often, um, minimal intrusion. Uh, on a food source, you, you said you've been feeding them. I would change if I got a Maltree Mobile or or one of the mobile apps. I would I would just change the location where you're feeding them, not too far from. Uh, make them feel right, right. Go up, make them feel comfortable to show up there again in daylight hours. Uh, get your MRI from your mobile app where you don't have to go in there and bother them. And then I would if if you start showing back up in daylight hours, I'd then hunt them. As soon as the season opens on the right wind, if he's if yeah. he's still because if your season opens September, did I hear correctly September eighth? I'm sorry. September the eighth. The eighth. So he's going to still be in velvet, or for the most part, he may be right in between velvet and hard horn. As long as they're in velvet, they're going to keep going on that feed pattern for whatever reason. When they lose that velvet and go hard horn. They also will, in turn, feed later. It's like their caution level goes way up. 
Um, they, yeah, they they turn into a different animal. Yeah, and I don't know why that why that is. Uh, I don't think there's any reason or any good explanations for it other than a guess. And my guess is they they they're now done with the nutrients that that, that that's sapping their body for to to grow those antlers and 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 put putting into that rack is now ended. So they're they're literally their appetite yeah. is their appetite has backed off. And so now they're just a lot, a little more tippy-toed out to their food source uh, because they don't feel the urge to have to put on that heavy feed like they were when they were growing those antlers. Yep. Um, you know, that's one thing I was thinking too. That I've, I've heard the, uh, I've heard Lee and Tiffany talk about. Well, Lee especially, he talks about. Um, his his one place that he has that he feeds his deer so much that they've kind of I mean he believes in the you know the pressure and all that stuff in, in hunting pressure but he says that you know over time it seems like they've kind of gotten used to seeing them out there on the farm when they go out to feed and whatnot. Um, he said, because every time he pulls in his driveway, you know, he'll see the deer. They'll just be out in the front yard basically sitting there waiting for for him to go back there and put some food out. Absolutely. And trust me, they'll get used to smells, too. Not that they're getting used to their smell, but they'll get used to the diesel smell and the human smell mixed with it and not be as scared is if they're walking to the woods and smell that same human without other things mixed with it. Whitetails have a right. phenomenal nose. And and, and 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 we probably won't have time to get into scents in this segment. But uh, I'm a big believer in using scents. Uh, but there are time and place for it. But to, to, to sum up, any kind of deer smell or what you think a deer might be uh, smelling, deer smell scent through scent. Um, and the best example I can use is the guy that puts the deer gel or the, the, the deer, deer urine on his boot. Well, the deer walks up, smells it, and, 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 and gets alarmed and snorts and takes off. Well, the, the deer probably was liking the smell of the deer scent, but didn't like the smell of the gasoline they're smelling through the scent that the hunter laid down from the bottom of the boot having foreign smell on it so the deer you yep. are not alarm. the deer don't alarm from deer scent any deer scent whether it be synthetic whether it be real uh whether it be an extract from uh real whitetails and then and then uh thin down with other urine which is what most deer urine out there is because uh, there's got to be a way to mass produce it obviously um uh so you're using a deer urine base uh that's that's diluted uh, with other urine with the deer smell in it there a deer will not spook with any of that stuff none of it um that said uh they will smell scent through scent so uh the the lee and tiffany uh deal where they're feeding those deer uh put you know going to their feeders those deer get used to smelling all the scents that come with not just the human scent coming off of their off of their body so um Trust me, when a farmer walks out to his barn 
whitetails will look and smell, look and see and smell them and not run. But you take that same farmer and put him in a tree stand and you watch how alert a whitetail will be when they smell that farmer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's different. It's, it's something, it's almost like they know that you have camouflage on. <laughs> They're 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 gaining the scent. <clears throat> they're gaining the scent. If you go scent free and wash your hair, of course I don't have any hair anymore. But um, which, by the way, deer don't smell me as much <laughs> since I've shaved my head completely. It's uh, pretty cool. Your your head's like a scent wick. Um, but uh, when you do go scent free, you're still you're cutting down on all the bacteria, but you're still your 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 body is still emitting. Scent. Uh, your 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 body is still then building up bacteria, and it's those flakes of scent that come off your body uh, that float in the air and that will deer will get you on. And now they're smelling that farmer's skin scent flakes with no diesel, with no gasoline, with no uh, I don't know uh, uh, chicken feed, no pig poop, you know. All that stuff yeah. that a farmer, farmer might have on them, and nothing against farmers, but let's face it, it's a dirty job, and uh, yeah. they're they're not smelling that everyday smell from them now. Now they're just smelling human smell, pure human smell, that and getting very little hints of it, which makes them alarmed actually, because before when they see the farmer walking between their tractor and the in the in the barn or the farmhouse or the ditch or whatever, uh, they they have their normal, all their smells on, if I made sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I understand completely. Um, well, it's actually kind of great that you were, were talking kind of about scent and stuff like that because I wanted to ask, since you hunt in Missouri and Iowa and Illinois up there in the breadbasket, I hear all the time in in Georgia down here, and and like and it's like you said, I, I truly believe, like you said right when we started the podcast, I truly believe Georgia can compete if if some things changed. I really truly believe that Georgia could compete as far as deer size with the likes of Iowa, Illinois, Kansas. Um, because we do have the genetics here, it's just there's not the 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 same number of big bucks in Georgia. <laughs> but I think that could come down but, to, to a nutrient issue, um, and if that nutrient is supplemented um, by, uh, you know, I mean, if a guy could afford it to supplement their feed. Uh, with the proper nutrients, yes, I, I agree with you. Now, my yeah. take, uh, no, I, I, I would believe that a Georgia buck at six and a half might not be might not be bigger than a than an Iowa deer at four and a half or five and a half. But right, you, right, you, you you can still bump up their numbers where you're where you're you can absolutely bump up their numbers where when you get an older age class deer. He's gonna he's gonna have a, a a rack that would rival anything you you know would uh, encounter yeah. in the West. And to that point, real quick, 
make no mistake, yes, I might live in the Midwest, but my biggest deer I got hung on the wall is right at 180 inches, and it was killed in Panhandle of North Texas on the Oklahoma border. So um, I, I don't have a wall full of 190 and 200-inch deer. There's very few people that do. Um, yeah. And, and the ones that do, obviously, are on. some of them are on television right now. Um, but realistically, even living in Iowa or living in North Missouri or, uh, or Illinois or even parts of Kansas, you're, you're realistic four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half, six-and-a-half-year-old whitetail. And let's just talk five-and-a-half, six-and-a-half-year-old whitetail. It's still – you're very fortunate for it to even reach Boone and Crockett. So, um, you know, you got to – you got to – you know, talk about realistic. That That's what you got to do. you got to set your – don't set your goals for something that's not really there. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen – I think I'm trying to remember who it was. I saw someone they were talking about. Oh, it was um, Bronson Strickland. He's he's a wildlife biologist with Mississippi State University, and they did a thing where they studied the deer, the scores, the average size of deer in certain areas. And in Iowa, well, Midwest, the average score of a mature whitetail meaning they were at least four i think it was they were at least four years old or older and the average score was like 136 and then you come i think they did southeast i want to say the southeast it was like 120 right above 125 i may be wrong on that but it was somewhere right there so i mean yeah it's it's not it's it's actually not realistic for a deer to be 190 inches, scientifically no, speaking. No, not in any way, shape, or form. So let's talk right. about that real quick. Um, you, you got that magical 135-inch deer. Well, for most hunters, when they see a 135, they think they're looking at a 150 to 160 anyway. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, that's just the – you just don't know how many people that I've had watch our shows and watch – picture trail cam pictures everything else and i'm sitting there looking looking at a deer i know for fact scores 135 and i'll have people regularly 150 160 so it takes a lot of antler i guess point i'm making is it takes a lot of antler to make a 170 inch deer so let's we all as hunters i think need to start more focusing on the age if you take a deer that's yeah. 136 yeah. inches, and that deer is eight and a half years old, and by the way, I've hunted some deer that eight and a half, nine and a half years old, and 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 they don't have more than 135 or 40 inches on their head, but that is just as hard a deer to get an arrow in as that 190 or 200 inch that you're seeing getting shot on TV. Trust me. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I I mean that. I don't want to take anything away from the guys that are doing it because listen, listen. Make no mistake, they are phenomenal hunters. They take no chances. They leave no stone unturned. Their life and their livelihood uh, is based around big whitetails. It, it's what they do. And so uh, it, it, if they weren't shooting 180, 190, 200-inch deer, then they're not doing their job because they have all the resources and the time and, and everything else. They're at their hands to do it. But – 
in the real world, us, people, everybody listening to this podcast right now, don't set your goals to that standard you're seeing on TV. But don't lower your goals to keep yourself from shooting those deer in the future. In other words, don't don't cave on shooting a two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half-year-old deer. Pass that deer up and see what that deer becomes. Yeah. Well, it's like, and that's great that you said that because I believe um, when I was talking about the deer in Georgia, they, we have the genetics. And you were saying it, it was probably a nutritional deal, which I agree with. But I think I think it's, it, there's a it's a three legged stool, is what Bronson told me, the biologist. You have yeah, age, sure. uh, nutrition, and oh, gosh, I forgot the other one. Genetics, Genetic. right? Yes. And he said, but and I believe for Georgia. I think the number one reason that we don't have more deer is age. age the reason life. I say that is, right, the reason I say that is because our gun season comes in the third weekend of October, and it doesn't go out. Like, it lasts for the rest of the deer season. It comes in yeah. the third weekend of October and goes to January 10th, I and believe, is what it is. And so you're, if you're speaking in terms of mature whitetails, you're 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 eliminating a lot of your future. Uh, you're, you're you're basically lowering your age class by virtue of when your gun's right. Is. Right. I think in Georgia, the majority of bucks that get killed are probably two, three, and four year old bucks. Yeah. More more two year olds and three year olds. I was going to um, say more specifically two and a half and three and a half. That's that's your majority. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, but I do believe that that's probably why. And but and again, I mean, if that's what you want to do, then that's great. But that's my thing is I hear so many people in Georgia saying, "Oh, well, we don't. Why can't we have bigger deer?" And I really think that's the reason why. I I agree. Um, but you you know to, to sum it up. You'd have to move off the mentality of starting that gun season uh, that early and move the gun season, and so many gun hunters and deer hunters don't want to see that. So, um, right. Know, the the only the only way to, to 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 counter that is to you know somehow come up with enough land to manage uh, that it doesn't make any difference what anybody's shooting around, or put everybody in your area on the same page, which really is what's worked well in the Midwest, where you get. A large, a lot of different smaller landowners and, and uh, getting on the same page as far as size deer you're shooting. Now that has become quite popular up here in Missouri uh, and here in southern Iowa. I live in southern Iowa, but North Missouri is right south of me. I'm right on the Iowa border. Um, uh, North Missouri and in some parts of Illinois, uh, they they really kind of a lot different areas. Uh, they they get on the same page and they manage their whitetail. So you have ten farmers around you, same thing. They won't shoot two and a half and three and a half and sometimes even four and a half. And uh that really, really, really helps. So um yeah. any rate, uh let's talk more about targeting a targeting a specific buck. One of the things and tools that I think is misunderstood on targeting a specific buck is once you know a buck is in the area, or maybe you don't. Um, 
if you can't get out and get your summer scouting, your your trail cams out on mineral licks or feed stations, and get your MRI or your your uh, inventory that way, one of the greatest tools you can use to figure out where your mature bucks are and 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 close to where you're going to be needing to hunt them, uh, there's actually two ways. One is of course shed antler hunting, um, but the best way that I've I've found is is when you put those trail cameras on scrapes and in particular when you put those uh put buck smells in the scrapes um a, a mature buck likes to cross urinate over another buck smell and so what i've found over the years um it's no great secret in fact when i was with hunter specialties we came out with a kit for this and explained everything but um i, I don't know if they still have that out um but, again, trail camera companies have missed the boat in teaching the hunter the best way to get your big, biggest bucks. And the best way to get your biggest bucks is to keep scent free, make sure you leave no scent, put something over the scrape, licking branch, a scent dripper with buck urine smell, a piece of rope with buck urine smell dipped on on the end of it, uh, and then put some, uh, some kind of uh, way to, to – uh, deposit buck smell into the scrape, whether it be uh, buck urine, buck urine gel. I use, by the way, I use Code Blue product for all my scrape making. And what typically will happen is your largest buck, almost like clockwork, will come to that scrape and cross urinate over that scrape. And you may only get a picture of him once. He's, it doesn't mean he's going to frequent back to that scrape, but that's all you need is one picture of him. And why is it that you only need one picture of them? Do you remember what I mentioned earlier in the podcast? If he gets a picture of them, if you get a picture of them at that scrape, that means he's not very far from that camera. He's living right, right there. You got him. You got him. Now it's up to you to get him killed. Yeah. But he's not that far from where he got his picture taken. I don't care, again, whether it's 2 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, too much and that's in, that's in the summertime, right? Well, early anytime early season. No, no, no. I do not put scrapes out until uh, we get, start getting a more rut action. So typically here in the Midwest, I won't switch my cameras from mineral licks or feed stations to scrapes till about October first, end of September, early October. Okay, okay, I got you. That makes sense. I mean, I, the the only other thing I would say, maybe to argue that somewhat, would be if it was right in the middle of the rut where it's like hard chasing and they're running and running does really hard. That may be the only time if you do get a picture of a buck, he, he may not be a buck that lives on your place, but then again, he's still not too awful far from your property, even if it is in the rut. No, what that, what that, what that picture will tell me is, is I need to watch my moon phase i need to pick a stand in a doe group doe area doe group not far from where i got that picture and hope the doe brings him by me right right forget about forget about isolating that particular buck and what he's doing right at that moment because you're not like to your point you're not going to figure that out right at that point during that phase so so do the next best thing go hunt the doe groups and hope that that doe one of those does brings him by you 
you know for fact that he's with those does. Um, and, and then the other number two, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast as well, use that picture for next year. Know that that buck, if he lives through the season, in the middle of whenever you get that picture, say you got that picture on November the 10th, you can just about bet a paycheck once again around the 8th, 9th, or 10th right in there. That same buck is going to be running does through that same area. Yep. I saw. I can't remember. I can't remember who it was. I think it was. I was actually watching it today. It was a a video of a hunt. I can't remember if it was. It was somebody with the juries. I think it was um, Jared Lurk, and he was talking about a buck that he had, and he got a picture of him. I think sometime in late October, and then the very, very next year, he got another picture. He got a picture of the same buck on the same exact day within about a 10-minute window difference. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hitting the scrape. So they, they, I, I truly do believe, and I, I mean, I've seen it too. I've, you always see, especially in the summertime, I've gotten like deer won't show up, and you're sitting there waiting, and waiting for them to show, and then finally. That day comes, oh, well, they may be here on this during this week, and boom, there they are. They're there that week. I really do think that you can you can tri- really, really uh, figure them out and figure out maybe when they're probably going to show up. The, the biggest by doing that. Stumble, the biggest stumbling block is getting the correct wind to move in and hunt. So, uh, and I'll give you a perfect example: a deer I shot a few years ago by the, when they named him Shorty. By the way, I've been doing a television show called Buckman TV. Uh, it aired on Pursuit uh, its first two years, and we're uh, right now still making plans to air season three, and that's Buckman. Go to www.buckmantv.com, and uh, kind of uh, we'll have some updates on that website soon on where we'll be airing. It'll probably be digital media. At any rate, bottom line is, on this buck, his name was Shorty, hitting the food plot, um, and about – Usually about, uh, I'm going to say, first two or three days of October, uh, that's the first week of October, he'd come to this same food plot. Uh, he was immature the first couple years. You know, first few years I started getting intel on him, and then he finally got mature. And just by the intel of him, of that, I knew he'd be, you know, large enough to shoot, um, you know, by his, you know, by the time he reached to be five and a half. And uh, that's how I actually went in and moved in, had to wait for the right wind. But I was praying that I would get a northerly wind, and particular a northwest wind, because uh, I knew about where he was like in the bed. Um, and that's, again, based on the year prior and, and uh, several years prior trail cam pictures, every year, two, three years in a row, this same buck would be in his food plot in the evening on his food plot uh, between about the last hour of daylight, uh, last couple hours of daylight and dark, coming from the same look, same direction, and by about the second week of October, he stopped doing it. So I was praying that here's the key of moving in to get him killed. I needed a northwest wind, and you don't get many northwest winds in early October. And so, lo and behold, on October 3rd, 
the good Lord blessed me, and a wind blew from the northwest all day. It was really cool, really chilly for October 3rd in the Midwest even. And uh, out pops Shorty, and he walks right by the tree, and I drill him. And, you know, it almost looked like I knew what I was doing, but the fact is I, I laid all that groundwork <laughs> years years prior to that, you know. So. Yeah. By the way, sidebar, if you watch Buckman season one, I actually don't get him. Uh, hit him a little high, and he lives, and I end up shooting him later. I don't want to be a spoiler, but I shoot him later in a rut. So uh, great, great story to Shorty. But um, uh, you can you can use that trail camera uh, you know, and that, that, that intel for not only now but for the future, no question. And, and it all falls yeah. on targeting a specific buck. Yep, I would agree. Um, well, I think. I think we've pretty much covered a pretty good bit of, of stuff on targeting bucks. Um, one of the, you can go one ahead of the things and... that, uh, that I want to mention is I just joined Woodhay uh, Custom Calls, and they've just come out with a uh, – and they're going to come out with more new, innovative uh, deer stuff in the future, and uh, I'm going to uh, probably work really uh, extensively with them uh, on call design, things like that. Uh, but they're they're – their new uh, Stinger ProFlex series is just beyond belief for sounding real. And what I want to mention real quick on deer vocalizations, there's certain times of the year that, that they work and certain times of the year they don't work as well. But I do not hunt without a deer call with me, and that's a snort wheeze call. Uh, you're probably aware, you may not be aware, that I was in on uh, designing the first grunt snort wheeze call ever introduced in the industry and uh but we have a snort wheeze call we have uh you know the stinger a proplex flex bleep the stinger uh snort wheeze um and we also have this the new stinger pro grunt call and uh i want to i want to we have two new deer calls the stinger pro grunt and the stinger uh uh gun hunter grunt call and you think, well, why would you need the difference between the two? Well, because it's different deer vocalization. I'll give you an example. Here's the regular Stinger Pro Grunt. Okay. Now the now the Pro Gun series is is going to be a little louder, but you, but you're talking about a greater distance a lot of times, and you got to get their attention. And you can do different things with it, like the the buck growl. And, and so you can see there's two different vocalizations, two different calls. I don't leave the woods without them. Or a snort wheeze, for instance, where you, where you, um, when you hear a buck or you hear a deer, whether it's a doe or a buck snort, it doesn't make any difference. A deer is inquisitive to a snort. And I learned a long time ago you don't want to hunt without a snort wheeze. Does that mean I sit in a tree stand and sit and call all the time? Absolutely not. There are certain times that you want to use that call especially when you get a visual of a deer uh, and you know you're not going to get a shot. What's wrong with throwing a throwing that snort wheeze out there and stop and get their interest? And by the way, this was the new Stinger Snort Wheeze by Woodhaven. But uh, if you're looking for a Woodhaven call, by the way, the deer series, just go to www.woodhavencalls.com or, or Google search them, Woodhaven Custom Calls. Um, a lot of great things out there. But this stuff really works. 
I mean, when you were we're out there filming and we throw a grunt at a deer, and and we get them shot because we use that call. All these things we talked about scouting and targeting us, targeting targeting a specific buck. Uh, all these things come together, but if you don't have a good call to bring them to to bow range, uh, you can be sunk because. One of the things we need to get into, Ryan, later on if we do another podcast is how you figure out where to hang a stand. And it's not always right there in the yeah. construction spot where you can get a good shot, you know. And what what makes you get a good shot? A lot of times deer calls will bring that deer to where you get a shot. If, if you look at a lot of the stands that I hang, even for the rut, most people scratch your head and say, why would you hang a tree stand here? Well, it's because it's hung for different reasons other than deer travel, and and deer calling is one of them. So they can't get downwind of you and so forth. So, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, we'll definitely have to we'll definitely have to get on the get on another one and let that be a topic of. I, I really would like to get on another one sometime and just talk basically just tactics, all different types of tactics and stuff. Oh, I love that, and and I appreciate the listeners uh, uh, taking there. We've been talking for oh quite a while now, and, and it's quite a podcast here. And I'm going to have to uh, sign off, but um, yeah, I'd love to talk about her. So, I mean, you can't cover everything in an hour, and, and uh, oh I, no, I, I I certainly appreciate everybody you know listening in, and and uh, I am going to I am working with Got Game Tech. Uh, you can look them up, GotGameTech.com. Uh, and I'm uh, working with them on a new mo- uh, mobile app that you'll be able to load on your phone. And I'll have all these tips in there um, on this app. And it's going to be a minimal price. I don't know, um, six, eight, ten bucks, whatever it is. But it's going to be well worth it because it's going to cover gear calls. It's going to cover moon phases. It's going to cover why and where I want to hang a stand during uh, specific times. It's going to cover targeting specific bucks. And it'd be a cool tool to to purchase and put on your phone and and go to it, use it as a go to. I mean, my God, yeah. Um, uh, you know, who wouldn't want to? Uh, heck, I'm gonna I'll, I'll buy it myself. Just remind, you know, really remind me of stuff. You know, so, <laughs> uh, it's just it's just a cool thing. And 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 while we're talking about that, they have a turkey calling app with Scott Ellis featured on there called Turkey Tech, and then they have elk an elk app on there um, called, I think it's called elk, elk, uh, oh boy, I can't think of it, elk nuts maybe, but just go to gotgametech.com and, and they, so they have an elk app already built, a turkey app already built, and we're working on a whitetail. Cool. Yeah, I, I like the the app with Scott Ellis. It's, that's a really great app. It is cool. Let's see. What's the name of that? Uh, Elk Nut. It's exactly right. Elk Nut. Uh, and it's through. Well, there you uh, go. So those of you that are getting ready to go elk hunting, uh, get that app. And those of you that want to learn more about turkey calling and hunting and some of the awesome calling that, that Scott not only offers, but real life turkeys calling and compare it and just learn, get that turkey app with, uh, app with Scott Ellis. No, no question. It's uh it's at the cutting edge of technology right now. You just load on your phone and get on it whenever you got some free time, which I'm not going to mention some of the greatest places to listen to that, 
are, but uh, I think you can read between the lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you getting on here today, man. That was uh, it was really great talking with you, and I look forward to doing it again. I, I look forward to it, Ryan. And, and again, if if they want to look me up uh, and see what our television show is doing, go to www.buckmantv.com and uh, go to our. We've got a, a Facebook page, Buckman Buckman TV Facebook page. Uh, like us on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I've got my own Instagram account. Um, so, yeah, uh, give us give us a shout. Let us know how you how you like it. <laughs> 